If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. And we've been looking at engage, connect, serve, getting us back to why we're here and how we do ministry. Remember, we engage God in worship. We engage the lost in evangelism. We connect people around God's word. We talked about the Bible being the infallible, inerrant word of God, and we can trust it. We connect around God's word for fellowship and spiritual growth. And that, that happens in small group ministries, such as uh, Sunday morning, we have uh, Sunday school. I like to refer to it as Bible study. Um, and then we're looking at serve. Last week we looked at, we need to give him everything. And that's really where service starts. It's laying down our lives to follow him completely devoted to him. Now today, remind people Romans uh, was written by the Apostle Paul probably in 57 AD. It was on his third missionary journey and he was writing in Corinth or from Corinth. So it's really, really important as we, as we plan the ministries of the church that we file those ministries in one of these three areas. Uh, is this going to be a worship event or is this going to be an evangelistic event? How we're going to do small group ministries, which I'm hoping uh, we're going to launch here uh, shortly. And I've got a seven week uh, study on how to actually start a small group and we'll launch it there. So today we're going to look at the body. Uh, last week, the Apostle Paul talked about uh, giving yourself holy, which is your reasonable service. So if you're new or you don't usually look at your bulletins, on the back of your bulletins, you'll see the fill-in-the-blank outline. First thing we're going to look at this morning is we have the same status. We have the same status. Uh, notice in verse 3, for by the grace given to me, the Greek word there, grace, is horus, uh, and that is understood widely as God's undeserved, unmerited favor. However, Paul uses here an errorist passive participle. That may not mean much to you, but it means a lot to me preaching this text. So that use of the term grace refers to a past event that is fully completed. So when we talk about, when Paul talks about the grace of God, he is talking about an event at the moment of salvation where God bestows upon us his unmerited, undeserved favor. We live under that umbrella the rest of our lives. It is a one-time filling. At the moment of salvation, that day that you trusted in Jesus Christ, grace came down it engulfs your life, and you live your life abundantly in God's grace. And Paul says here, for by the grace given to me, Paul knew, Paul knew that it was only by the grace of God. You think about the Apostle Paul for a minute. What was Paul doing before he met Jesus Christ? 
He was persecuting Christians. He was throwing them in jail. And on that road to Damascus, he encountered Jesus Christ. So Paul starts this little section by saying, by God's grace. And we could say this, all of us this morning, it is by the grace of God that we're even here. It is by the, his grace is abundant in our lives. So the Apostle Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, and that's his audience and this today. So Paul could be saying this to us today. Not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Let me, some, some of the scholars that I read said that um, you really have to have a humble understanding of yourself, which is absolutely true. But let me say this. Paul does not say you cannot think highly of yourself. What he says is more highly. Now I'll get into that in just a second. Let me, let me tell you, not in a Joel Osteen sense, but let me tell you something. You have value. You are worth value to God. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for your sin. Therefore, you do have value. You, you are not somebody that is downcast, that is broken. And, and I, I see this a lot with some Christians. They seem to think that they have no value. And they get into these patterns in their lives where they think that they are worthless. I'm telling you this morning, you have value before God. So you can think rightly about yourself, but the real danger is when we start overestimating our value within the body of Christ. That's the real issue. The danger is thinking more highly of yourself or euphronoprono in the Greek, which means, and listen, I'm reading right from the Greek here, conceited, arrogant, obnoxious, or superior. Years ago, there was, uh, in my first church, we had some uh, praise bands coming in. And uh, this is years ago, because I'm getting up there in years. But these praise teams were comparing themselves to the other praise teams. And I was like, you know, maybe that's not really worshipful. If you think you're the best praise team, <laughs> you're thinking more highly of yourselves than you ought to. Actually, as I see worship, as, as we come forward to worship this morning, that there is a sense of humility, that there is a sense of the need of God's divine grace, and that none of us, none of us, within the sound of my voice this morning, those that are watching by Facebook and other uh, uh, medias that we have, we all are here and we all are important to God and nobody is elevated over anybody else. And he says here, you should not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to. And this really becomes problematic in a church. Can, can you think for a minute, if you had five or six people in the church that had this superior attitude, or they were arrogant, usually that doesn't work out so well. 
Let me remind us this morning of Proverbs 6, 6 and 19, 16, 19. There are six things the Lord hates, no seven that he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, uh, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, uh, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in the family. Notice this one. Number one. Number one is a proud look. We have to be careful. We have to be on guard against that in our own lives. And particularly as we live here within the body of Christ. And Paul will unveil this in, in, in just a minute. But we really need to be careful. That we don't get to a place where we overestimate our own value. We should be looking at others the same way that we look at ourselves. And we should be evaluating them on the, on the basis of grace that was given to them. And therefore, if everybody has the same perspective, Paul says, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. If everybody and every committee and every team brought that mindset to do the work of ministry, then ministry would go much, much better. So we, we really do need to be on guard with that. So to counterbalance that, to counterbalance that, the Apostle Paul mentions a correction in 3b. But to think with sober judgment. And that word think means to consider or to hold a view. So there's one way not to do it. One way is to overestimate your value or to become arrogant, conceited, prideful. And Paul says you need to counterbalance that. Usually when, when biblical writers, Paul, Peter, whoever the biblical writer was, they wrote to address a specific situation. So we can surmise that when he says that you should not uh, overthink your own value, there were some in that church that certainly were. So to counterbalance that, the Apostle Paul says, but think with sober judgment. So frano, that means good sense, reasonable, or good judgment. Um, here's a police officer stopping a man, and everybody knows what that is. He's checking to see if he's had a little too much behind the wheel of a car. And as that encounter continued... We see that the man was falling over and he was indeed intoxicated. So there is a sense in which this Greek word refers to intoxication. Robert Mount says this in his commentary, that they were to think of themselves with sober judgment, suggest how out of touch with reality they were in their opinions of themselves. So they had a, a church of superstars. And rock stars. There's only one rock star in this church, and that's Jesus Christ. He is our Savior and our Lord. And, and since the metaphor suggests intoxication, one might say that they were in danger of becoming egoholics. I've ran into a few of these in my 30 
three years of pastoral ministry. And usually what happens, usually what happens to these kind of people is that people wind up shying away from them. Simply because, why would you want to spend time with somebody that has a greater value of themselves and puts you down on a lower rung? And so it really is a danger, and it can crop up on us at any given moment. It can become a problem in the church, and when it does, it needs to be extinguished so that the body of Christ can function properly the way that God designed it to function. So after this, Paul says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Metron is the measurement. It sounds like metric, but it's metron. It's a unit of measurement. Marizo is to assign a task. So there is a measurement that God has given the church and a task for each person. Um, by the way, you're free to copy this. It's just fine. Taco casserole. Um, this is really kind of a nice, a nice recipe. As crescent roll dough, ground beef, taco seasoning, salsa, grated cheddar, and then you top it with avocado, diced tomatoes, and red onion. This is what it's supposed to look like. That looks pretty good. Now, when looking at these ingredients, if you only have a crescent roll dough, you don't have everything. If you only have ground beef and not the crescent roll, then all you have is ground beef. The, the point I'm trying to stress here is that God has given the church ingredients, if you will, ingredients so that the church can be a flavorful, uh, not only a, a flavorful ministry for God, but also that the people outside the church can see. And they cannot see that. They cannot see the workings of God if everybody in the church seems to be a rock star. Or, you all don't know this, like 15, 16 years ago when I uh, was interviewing with you guys, I'm really surprised you haven't thrown me out by now. I don't know why, but um, you're getting close, right? You're getting close. <laughs> you get, yeah, that works both ways. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I came here and drove around this neighborhood. And I saw two boys over here bouncing a basketball, and I stopped, and I rolled. I know they're like, alert, alert, but uh, that wasn't the purpose. I said, boys, do you know anything about First Baptist Church here in Tolono? And they both looked at each other, and I said, no. And I drove around several places, and some people knew and it, it, it appeared that you guys had a good reputation. I wonder what would happen if I drove around today. I think it would be positive. And the way it becomes positive is when you guys and gals get out there and live your lives. That's how people get drawn to a church. Wow, what, what church do you go to? I go to First Baptist Church in Tolono. Uh, and... <laughs> 
if you guys are you guys finished writing the recipe down i see john back there writing but um if you any one of these ingredients that are out of this it doesn't taste as flavorful and when you think about the body of christ and you think about our mission here think about that each person has a measured gift from god and that that gift is to be used in the body of christ so that the body of christ may be built up so if you're not in a church you're not serving you're not uh, growing with the body of christ then you need to be so the issue here is that we all god has given each of us he's given you a measure of faith dave walker he's given you a measure of faith Angie's giving you a measure. Of, I'm going to go around and name everybody now. Yeah. Again, we all have the same status. I think this is what Paul's driving at. We all have the same status, but each of us have a different gift. Each of us have a different calling. Something that was given to us that is no better than anybody else's. Obviously, God called me to preach. That's what I'm doing here this morning. And when God called me to preach, way back in Bible college days when we wrote on stone tablets, you know what I did? I was in Dr. Windsor's class, and he was explaining the sermon outline. And this is what I said to myself, not out loud, because then people would have looked. I said, God, I want to be the best preacher that I can be. I never, never forget that. And, and, and not in the sense I'm superior to others, but because God had called me to it, I wanted to give myself to the task that God had given me to do. And over the years, uh, over the years, from there, whatever church I'm in, from there to here is a moment where I know in my heart that God will judge the sermon that I am getting ready to preach to you. And therefore, that task should be taken seriously. But all of our tasks should be taken seriously. We should say, you know what, Lord, here I am. I'm going to offer myself to you, and Lord, whatever task you've given me, I'm going to do it to the utmost of my ability because I am in love with you. That's kind of it. You've got to, we've got to, not you, we, we all have to get to a place where we say, you know what, I want to, this is the task God's given to me. And, 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 and listen, I, I know a lot of your gifts. I've been your pastor for a little while, at least two weeks. <clears throat> and I know what your gifts are. I want to challenge you and encourage you to be the best task taker from God that you can be. And use those gifts to the glory of God and not the glory of yourself. Because it's never been about us. It's always been about him and the one who redeemed us. So we all have the same status. 
And you say, well, we have pastors and deacons and Sunday school teachers. We all have the same status. Are we all in Christ? Yeah, we're all in Christ. So we have the same status. And by the way, as a status of a born-again believer, guess what? We're on our way to heaven. <laughs> this is temporary. This stuff fades. 30 years ago, I used to have hair. I mean, it's going downhill, but... And are one in Christ. For as the body, and this is, see, Paul had to, Paul had to get through verses 1 and 2 and 3 to get to this point. You lay down your life and you get the right perspective. The right perspective is we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. That we, that we see others as we see ourselves, which is a good a gauge. And then he gets to four and five, for as in the body we have many members, and the many members do not have the same function. First Corinthians chapter 12 <clears throat> really does talk in depth about spiritual gifts, but let me throw this out. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the common good of all. So the Holy Spirit, at the moment that you get saved, begins to develop gifts in your life and mine. And those gifts will be brought to mention at some point in your Christian life. There may be gifts that uh, back in the day, many of you know I'm not charismatic by any stretch, but I was home watching TV in Hawaii, they forced me to, to enlist for Hawaii. I spent three wonderful years over there. Had both girls in Hawaii. Was watching TV and all of a sudden I had a vision. Y'all know this. I'm not charismatic. I had a vision. My hands were to the side. There was a Bible in front of me, and when I looked up, and all of a sudden it was gone. And I that. Well, that was the beginning of God's call that took another five, six years for that to come to fruition. Listen, <clears throat> you may have been a Christian 15, 16, 20 years, whatever. And all of a sudden, you start saying, wait a minute. I think maybe God wants me to do this. As your pastor, talk to me. Because I will definitely encourage you to do it and do it to the best of your ability. So you, as you live your Christian life, as you grow and as you get closer to him, you may start to find that God has given you gifts that you didn't know that you had. And that those gifts will be used for this church and for the kingdom of God. Now God did give people like me. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, that's me, and teachers. And the purpose of that was to equip you guys and gals to go out and do the work of ministry. And by the way, if you finish this 13 and following, you'll find that all of this is to reach a state of unity within the body of Christ. So I'm the cheerleader, if you will. I am the pastor. But I'm a cheerleader where I say, guys, this is the game plan for this week. I like that one 
sitcom where the guy says, okay, men, Notre Dame's up by 14. It's halftime. We got to get busy. That's kind of what I do, right? We get people motivated to go out. And we also, pastors, also teach the word of God where you can understand it and then apply it to your life and go out and live. That's what, that's what I do. That's what I try to do. And so every sermon is written with how can I help people become better followers of Christ? So if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now there are, this is Paul writing, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God. Do you notice Paul saying there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, through seven, that the Spirit, God, and Jesus Christ are all involved in the work of the church. And then you can go through here and you can read a, a grocery list. One, one of the things I would like to encourage you to do is take a spiritual evaluation of your life and, and, and ask, what could I be doing or what should I be doing based on what God has given me? I'm going to tell you this. Everybody in this church has a gift. Otherwise, uh, otherwise it's kind of difficult for the church to function the way it should. You have a gift. And I know some of our uh, senior members here, which I am now ranking among them too, um, some of them, and you don't know this, some of them send out cards and they pray. That's behind the scenes that you don't know about. And I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna tell you something. It's one thing to send an email, which seems rather impersonal. It's another thing to receive a card that has been handwritten. Do you know what that can do to a life of somebody that's down in the dumps? That is a huge ministry. That is a huge ministry. And those of you out there that are doing this, I want to thank you as your, as your pastor. I know, I know we got some missing today, but... Uh, it, we tend to think that this ministry is more important than this ministry, which is more important. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. There. We have children's ministry. We have VBS coming up. We have all these different ministries. And these ministries are vital to not only serving the church, but the community and the world at large. We have a missions team, and that mission team focuses on missions. And so to say that the Sunday school is superior to the hospitality. By the way, Ruth, you do a great job. Uh, funerals, all these things. See, I'm not screaming at you. I'm giving you attaboys. 
But I do want to challenge you to think about where you fit and fit. And use the gifts that God has given you. What a joy to see that pop up and people doing their ministries. Wow. It would be awesome. So let me encourage you. There, there is no insignificant ministries. Even those that clean the church. They volunteer their time. That is so important. So what I'm driving at, and I think what Paul's driving at here, is look. Make sure that you're not overestimating your own importance, but do what God has given you with all of your heart. He starts out with that. And this is the byproduct of that outflow. Back in, um, wow, that's an echo, isn't it? Echo. Back in 2016, I graduated with my doctorate, uh, my doctorate of ministry degree in preaching. The other thing, I wanted to go as far as I could. And this was given to me on stage the day that I graduated. This is a reminder to me that I'm a servant. Yes, it's work to get a doctorate. I can tell you that hands down is tough. But Dr. Wells said, you know, Michael, make sure that no matter what you do in your life, that you remain a servant. And this basin is a reminder of washing the feet as Jesus did. That sits prominently in my office as a reminder. You know, I'm going to shoot level with you here. Um, my only goal, and I, it's even gotten a greater sense of urgency as I've moved forward in my walk. My only goal in life obviously to be the best pastor I can, to help you in any way that I can. But my ultimate goal in life is when I cross the finish line and see Jesus face to face. All I want to hear is well done. It's really all I want. It really should kind of motivate us to do our best. We're going to make mistakes. That's obvious. Many of you have pointed out my mistakes through the years. <laughs> uh, that's okay. We're diverse. We're diverse. Even in geography, we're diverse. Some of you, I came, grew up in Florida. The Space Center. I went to astronaut high school. By the way, I went to school with Chris Collinsworth, who played for the Bengals, and Wilbur Marshall, Donnie Moore. Those guys were all on our football teams, like a thousand. And there was a thousand in my graduating class, which was really big. They had two high schools in my town. Um, I have a different upbringing than you guys and gals. 
Some of you come from the Midwest. Some of you may come from New York, wherever your roots are. We're diverse, but we're one in Christ. And yet from that diversity, God wants something else. He wants unity. By the way, Robert Utley says this, believers do not choose their spiritual gifts. They are given by the Spirit at salvation for the common good. The spiritual gifts of the Spirit are not merit badges that exalt the individual, but servant towels so that each person may serve the body of Christ, the church. But from this great diversity <clears throat> that we have, I know we've got quite a few missing this morning, but from this great diversity, God wants unity. I just said, for as in one body, we have many members and many members do not all have the same function. And here's the kicker, verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. <clears throat> Michael Jordan. This is my personal opinion. Please don't send me negative emails. This is my personal opinion. He's got to be one of the top five players ever to play. Michael Jordan won championship 91, 92, 93, 96, 97, 98. All him. I wasn't. <clears throat> Let me give you some names, refresh our memories. Pippen. Remember Scotty Pippen? Grant Paxton Armstrong. Those were the big five. <clears throat> you know how Michael Jordan got loose a few times? Paxton would stand in front of somebody and do what's called a pick. And Michael Jordan would go around whichever side they were going. There were, there were teams. Michael Jordan could score. There's no doubt about that. But Michael Jordan, if, he, if it was Michael Jordan on the floor against five other defensemen, a different outcome. Michael Jordan would tell you, the only way that I won this is because I had team members who were standing in the gap with me and helping me go forward. Boy, Paxson, I remember him. Rocking those threes, as we call it, downtown. And when they double teamed Michael Jordan, the obvious problem to that was Grant, Armstrong, Paxton, they all got open. Somebody's going to be open. They're going to get the ball. And I think, I can't remember, I, I didn't really research them. I Didn't Michael Jordan score like 75 points in one game at one time? I think it was. It was high. And he gave credit to the team because you have to have teamwork and there has to be unity in order to win. That applies to a basketball team, a football team, a hockey team. I don't really count soccer as sports, sorry. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. But you get the drift. 
Now, hockey, there's a sport. And football is a sport, too. But you can't. You can't win games if your team is not unified. We can't win people to Christ and do the work of ministry effectively unless we come together and are unified. And our whole purpose, you go on our website, helping people become fully followers of Christ. That's it. That's our mission. And then we go and engage God in worship. We engage the lost in evangelism. We connect people around God's word for spiritual growth and fellowship. We serve the church, the community, and the world. And we have to be unified on that. Because through unity comes strength, and from that strength, we begin to see the power of God. What do you think God could do here? We're gonna, I can't make a box with my fingers, but it's close. Sometimes we put God in the box and say, God can't do this or can't do that. God can do anything. But we have to be unified. And we have to treat each other rightly. Robert Mounts, one of my favorite <clears throat> theologians. He's up there in the top three. <clears throat> this unity however, which is spiritual, was only possible because the members were in Christ. That is, joined by faith, they had become part of the body of Christ. Since they were all members of one body, it follows that each member belonged to all others. The Christian faith is essentially a corporate experience. You can say it this way, I know we do a Southern Baptist all the time and it makes people nervous. But we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're connected by Jesus' DNA. And sometimes the family of Christ is better than our physical family. Isn't that right? This is where we come to elevate each other and to encourage each other. This is not where we come to say you're not worth, you're not worth anything. No one in the church is any higher than the other, including me. Each person is of equal value. You have value. Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for your sins in full so that you could have a relationship with him. And that is of extreme value. Think about that. God gave his son for you and for me. He saw so much value in you and love for you that he sent his own son to pay for our sins. God has given every person in the church a task. And the outflow of that is we work together. One pastor used to say, Lottie, Dottie, and everybody. We work together, not only the ministries of the church, 
so that when we go out there, we're talking good about our church.